Hey guys, Ian here with another episode of Unleash and Unhinged, the podcast where we talk about all things dog. Dog training, dog behaviour, dog health, literally anything you can think about when it comes to dogs, we'll talk about on here. We hope you enjoy the episode. everyone thanks so much for tuning in today we've got renee erdman all the way from canada bravo dog training thanks so much for joining us today um tell us a little bit about yourself thanks for having me i'm excited to reconnect with you again um my name is renee erdman i live in north vancouver bc i'm in canada I own Bravo Dog Training and Behavior Consulting, and I specialize in reactivity. I work completely remotely and see clients from all over the world. So a little bit about me. I've been training, working with dogs for about 12 years. Um, So yeah, I love it. And I love helping people learn more about their dogs, you know, and want to learn more, get get them to nerd out as much as I do about stuff like that. you know, like what's going on internally. Yeah. 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 I think, you know, we, we we don't work with anybody that's not a dog lover. Um, yeah. But it's pretty hard to top how much, you know, the likes of yourself love dogs. <laughs> like, you know, like I really love talking about dogs. I love dogs. I love nerding out about dogs. And like yeah. getting, getting somebody on that page is awesome. <laughs> it's yeah. It's like the, you know, those moments where they just sort of like, oh my goodness, what? That's a thing? Or, yeah, anyways, if anybody's listening, that's like, what are they even talking about? <laughs> yeah, but it's the, it's the nuances, isn't it? Like your your social media page is one of my favorites to just like Thanks. tune into and watch because you can see, even just through your posts, like your everyday communication to the public about dogs, you can just see how much you care about them and how much you care about the people as well. It's just a really cool, you know, it's why you're one of my favorite people to in the industry. Just to Aww, thank help. you. Nah, I've sure. really been enjoying social media more lately. And, and I think a big part of that is connecting more with the people. And you know, you can have a different opinion. You could be doing things differently, but we're probably going to agree on something at some point. And I can always find something right, yeah. right? to connect with people. So, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, awesome. I love it. What's the main thing we're going to talk about today? Well, I thought a great focus could be that, you know, we, we give some more insight into um, how and using air quotes, nobody's going to be able to see that, uh, good behavior is built, right? Everybody wants a quote-unquote well-behaved dog, right? But they don't realize where the foundation needs to be built in order to get there, Yeah. right? Yeah. 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 And I think... Those air quotes are important. <laughs> yeah, air quotes are, yeah, for context, for sure. Um, and I think a big part of folks not getting there quite yet. Well, you know, and I, I do see progress, of course, but I think the, the, the problem is always, a, it's a bigger picture problem, which is that society really benefits on 
and they capitalize on dog behavior problems, right? Or what they're calling dog behavior problems. So I've got a product to fix that. I've got a book to sell you to fix that. So it's very much like identify the problem, let's fix it, move on versus, okay, let's dig deeper and really investigate what's going on with your dog as an individual on an emotional level, on a um, health level. Um, I don't, you know, I'm not a nutritionist, but, you know, nutrition, finding, you know, all those things work together, right? Yeah. So, you know, what you're kind of alluding to and saying there is, you know, good, good and bad behavior. Again, my air quotes are coming out there, but (laughs) it's not as simple as that. And you've got to look at the bigger picture as to why behavior is happening in the first place from the dog's perspective, rather than putting it on that, uh, that label of good and bad on it and thinking that's good, that's great. And that's bad. Let's fix that. It's mm-hmm. doesn't quite, as you know, we both know it doesn't work like that behavior. Just that's not how behavior works. Yeah. It, to label it good or bad. I would say it's inconvenient. Absolutely. It's inconvenient for the humans. Right. Um, but it, a lot needs to go into, I think, changing perceptions about dog behavior. And who knows, our, our main topic may just sort of veer into another direction today. But, you know, I think that that is, is part of our job as consultants and, and trainers is to um, it, it, just let people know that, yeah, behavior doesn't, it doesn't happen in a vacuum. There's a reason for it. And it doesn't mean it's good or it's bad. We, we might not like it, or maybe it's not safe for society, for example. And, and we do need to address that. But, you know, uh, when I see dogs that have severe reactivity, I am always concerned about their health, their yeah. emotional health. Yeah. You know, and what kind of toll? Yeah. What kind of toll is that taking on them? Um, you're going to, your dog's going to have a shortened lifespan. They're going to get sick more frequently. They're not going to be able to recover from illness. I mean, there's a plethora of things, right? Yeah. Yeah. The impact of stress on the dog's health and well-being is is exactly the same as yours and mine. And yeah, like labeling it like bad dog, not helpful, really, really unhelpful. And, but like, I think, yeah, like you said, we're kind of moving away from the important ah, point. Okay. <laughs> but that's all good. Like, because it's, it, you know, we can't explain one without the other because when we're trying to build, again, inverted like commas here, like good behavior, um, it really is important to understand even then, like, just like if your dog isn't trying to be bad, he's not actually trying to be good. We're just actually trying to build a repertoire of behaviors that, we find rather than inconvenient, really convenient. Yeah. Yeah. So the yeah. other side of that coin. Well, I mean, and that's the thing with domesticating pets, right? We, these are, these are animals, right? But we, we, for some reason want them to, you know, I mean, and I, and I say this because, and I say this sort of half joking, half not joking because yeah, you know, dogs aren't going anywhere anytime soon and we don't want them to. But we do want to, they don't get a choice who they get to live with, you know? No. And, and, and I think that, of course, we want the humans to live less stressful lives with their dogs because, you know, we want harmony for both. I care about both. But I think, you know, if we can just 
step back from, from sometimes focusing so much on specific behaviors um, and like, you know, things like jumping up and like uh, pulling on lead. And like, I understand that that's a pain in the butt and, and, but like, how are they feeling? You know, like, yeah. Like every, I mean, for context there, like even every client I'll work with, I'll explain, you know, I'm not aiming for obedience. If I'm building, if I'm training somebody how to communicate with their dog, it's more for everyday life skills so that they've got a a good and healthy relationship so that they can communicate with each other on a day-to-day basis. Like I'm not an obedience trainer, never have been. Don't, I'd never say never, but I probably won't be either. It's just not where I get my kicks, but I do enjoy helping people build a healthy dialogue with their dog uh, in their everyday situation. So, you know, yeah, like those arbitrary, like dogs should not jump up. Well, I'll look at that and go, okay, one, why is he not, why is he jumping up uh, in the first place? You know, is he feeling social pressure? Is is he in pain? Have we just reinforced everything we didn't want then complain about it later? And how do we build up a different behavior and communicate that effectively to the dog rather than Mm -hmm. dog must do behavior? Yes. I think it all comes down to as well, the fact that I think most people don't understand body language, right? Like that's such a huge, like if we're talking about foundation, okay, well, if you want to know how your dog feels, you have to be an expert in dog body language, right? I've really been sort of pushing a lot more on that lately because that is how you're going to connect on a deeper level with how they are feeling because they're not going to tell you. Yeah. And, you know, verbally, they're not going to tell you. (laughs) Um, But yeah, and even the most, the um, most misunderstood body language signals, you know, like wagging tails and like rolling onto the back. And uh, yeah, I I think we've got to start there. Right. And then, Hey, you, you, you understand and can connect with your dog because you know how they feel. Okay. Well then let's dig deeper and, and then move to these, what I call nuisance behaviors. Yeah. Right. Yeah, but I don't want to, and I'm not making light of them because let's say like you're a seven year old person who's slight and you've got a huge dog that pulls that very well hurt you. I understand that that's not not what I'm talking about. No, 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 not, not being dismissive of of no. oh, dogs, no. of those things, but in yeah. terms of like general reason why you know general goals when I'm working with a dog, it's not to instill arbitrary behaviors because like because we should like step society said but they're the ones we should instead i'm really working towards the physical mental and emotional health of the animal because if that's in place we simply don't see unwanted behaviors very often and if we do they're normally the ones that are the best ones to work with because they're just like hey i want something i'm in a really good place i also want that and you can really easily communicate with them like how about we do something else? Whereas right. when we're working with like aggression, like that you specialize in, we're not dealing with that dog that's in a happy place. We're dealing with a dog that's going through all of those other wellness concerns as on top of the behavior that is also, um, what's the word you used earlier? Uh, inconvenient <laughs> inconvenient yeah, yeah 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 well well why don't we get here's let's talk about an example then like let's say somebody's listening and they're like oh what well give me an example um yeah. 
maybe it would be, okay, my dog's counter surfing. Like aside from don't leave stuff on the counter, we know that like the average person, and especially if they've got multiple family members, they're probably going to leave stuff on the counter. It's going to happen. However, if we've got a scavenger, okay, well, we can look a little bit deeper and think, okay, well, and most people, well, maybe not all people would hear this term needs being met, right? Mm -hmm. Is the dog's needs being met? Are they having access to food outside of say one meal a day? Some, some dogs are only getting one meal a day. Right. And so they've got FOMO. They want access to the food that they're seeing there, their animals. So we can actually address their needs, which is an emotional on an emotional level by giving them more enrichment. And will that satiate them? Will it prevent, or we see a decrease. I mean, Hey, if you're going to have a chicken, literally on the counter all bets are off but (laughs) but like uh you know just to just unpack that for a second because again like we say most people but i want to make sure that you know listeners understand that scavenging and foraging is is a behavior that a lot of dogs have an inherent need to do and if their opportunity to do it is at the kitchen counter then Mm. of course they're going to go and practice it. it and you can't just suppress it because it's an inherent need so giving them an opportunity to do that behavior elsewhere in a situation that we do find convenient with the goal of trying to satiate that need isn't is the is the solution is a is a really good it's it's likely it's very likely to solve the problem so it's getting creative a lot of times i find that's what i love about this work too is getting really creative with that particular dog and that household and 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 the family members you know is is coming up with something like that and testing it that's what that's what a lot of what we're doing with with our dogs is testing yeah right and that test and i'm going to bring this back around to what what you specialize in and to you know uh in terms of like creating foundations but a lot of it that testing comes back down to um i think what we're looking for as the professional in that situation is where is the behavior coming from? What, what need isn't being met? And say it is the reactive dog or the aggressive dog. Like, where are they coming from when they're reacting? Mm-hmm. Because what need isn't being met? Is it because they're not, they're not, they're too, the, the person that they're barking at is too close? Is it because they're not getting access to them and they're frustrated? Like, is it, is it because they're, there's too many things moving around? They're just losing their shit and barking. And they, what's, What's going on with the dog's need behind it all is what, where we would test. And it doesn't mean we're going to get it right in the first session. That is exactly. This is, I love talking about this because when, when we're working with clients and that's why it's so important, I think, to work with a behavior consultant when we have these things going on, because we need to be looking at various aspects of the human's life and the dog's life, Right. And then we need to put things in place and test them and then reevaluate, right? And then change things if we need to. Um, I think that's really important for people to know that that's normal mm. and that that's part of the process, right? Yeah. Instead, and, and that's why, you know, a random video on YouTube that gives you just like uh, blanket advice is not often helpful. I think that, you know, you're like, no, (laughs) I knew that I get it, but (laughs) but, yeah. So 
Yeah. But for anyone out there that, that is listening is that that is the benefit of really you need individual help with reactivity. And you do often need, if we're talking about emotional health and that healthy foundation to start with, we do need to look at things like their physical health, because that physical health impacts their mental health and their behavior, right? Any kind of pain, discomfort, irritation that often you're not seeing with the naked eye is huge. It's huge. So yeah, I was um, recently at a conference with um, Mike Shikashio and the the information that's uh, coming out, um, you know, he obviously works like yourself, like with a lot of the reactivity and aggression. And um, there was some veterinary behaviorists in the room as well. And they were having this discussion. And basically the the information that seemed to be really consistent was that pain is related to about 80 percent. 80 percent. Yeah. Yeah. It's a crazy number. Yeah. Uh, Daniel, Daniel Mills. Do you, have you heard of Dr. Daniel? Mills? Okay. He's a great one to dig into. And even um, dog guardians, if they're interested is, um, and even noise sensitivity and there's a connection between that and pain. Right. But oftentimes when we are addressing whether or not the dog has pain, it might not be visible to the naked eye. And that's where you know, if we really pain trials can be a great thing. If you, if your vet is, you know, of course I'm not giving medical advice, but you know, it, it is something that can be helpful to rule pain out. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like yeah. people will go to, they'll often push back and they'll go, oh, but he chases the ball every day. And my normal, my normal retort is like, I like going running. I go running two or three times a week. I've got plantar fasciitis. Bottom of my feet hurt 24 hours a day. Still running, right? It doesn't stop. Because you enjoy it. Yeah, like it's fine. I guess I'll just get on with it. Yeah. One day I might have to stop, but I ain't going to stop tomorrow. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Well, and I I heard the other day too is that uh, I'll have to dig this up, but I think the statement was that you might not, you, you won't see a limp until a dog feels about a seven out of 10 pain. I need to, I really need to find that because it would be nice to back that up with actual statistic. But <laughs> if that is the case, then, Hey, one to six sucks. Like that's really yeah. in that area really sucks. Right. So that's gonna, it's gonna change things a lot. And so I think that, you know, we really need to focus more mm-hmm. on that and ruling that out. And then it is okay. Well, anxiety is also a medical condition. If, if it needs to be, it needs to be diagnosed by a veterinary professional, but that is a huge impact on emotional health, anxiety, trauma, and uh, acute stress. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like, so for you, you know, what are the We've talked about in terms, I'm going to try and bring it back to, you know, building the foundations of those, that good dog again, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, and we keep coming back to physical, emotional, mental health, don't we? Right. Yeah. Well, it's the same thing with, with, with humans, which I think you said earlier, it's just, we're feeling crappy or our health is, it impacts literally every aspect of your life. Yeah. Right. And I'm not saying that it is the, you know, hundred percent solution because we know that behaviors, um, uh, patterns 
and um, frequency of, of the practice of the behavior and the age of the dog, all of that stuff, some of these behaviors can still remain in place or if they're being reinforced. So I'm not saying that training and behavior modification doesn't need to happen. It, it Learning is facilitated much more effectively when we're feeling better, you know? Yeah, yeah. There's so many aspects to like what people can do about this though, you know? We talk, mm. we'll hear a lot of dog trainers and talk about it as like these isolated things, but all of them have to kind of happen in this kind of symphony of like how we care for our dogs. Um, yeah. And it's like, you, you nailed it with like the body language, like learning how to listen to your dog and what they're saying about the situation. They don't lie. Right. <laughs> like, no, I think in, and I think inside they're screaming, listen to me because yeah. they're not because their body language is subtle and they're not allowed to use overt body language because we shut it down yeah. we don't like that they growl we don't like if they snap so they're trying really hard to tell us things yeah yeah it's like if i if i'm like at a dinner party and like having i can hate dinner parties so i'm just like sitting there and i'm like oh looking looking at emma across the table like eye contact like Everything is like, I need to leave in the next five minutes. And she's there like, <laughs> having a great bloody time. Yeah. I'm going to eventually either shut down and then get moaned at because I was so quiet or snap and then get moaned at because I snapped. But really, I've been communicating the whole night. I'm really uncomfortable. You know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and I think that, again, that is part of our sort of job is, is to educate. And, and that's great. the great thing about social media is that we can do that and keep repeating this to help people. Yeah. Um, but I think on a practical level, if I was to give examples, too, of, of situations where we do want to dial it back and, and look at that foundation of uh, emotional health would be, um, you know, new adoptions, that's a great opportunity to take the pressure off of the dog and really not focus on obedience yeah. um, and not like, oh, teach them, you know, sit down and stay. Let's let them decompress. Let's let them feel safe. Safety yeah. is, is another important layer of emotional health and feeling. Well, I would, I would go as far to say that it's the most important layer. Mm-hmm. Safety. Yep. Yeah. Like, um, I really like, I really like the way, um, uh, what are their names? Um, Ali Bender and Emily Strong, the enrichment. Mm -hmm. So yeah. they, in their, uh, fundamental enrichment needs, they've separated, uh, safety and security in the sense that safety mm -hmm. is whether or not they are actually physically in danger and security is the perception of the safety. Um, and I like the way they've done that because they are two different things. You know, we can yeah. be, we, we can have a dog in a situation that we know logically is really safe and nothing bad is going to happen, but that's completely irrelevant if the dog doesn't feel it. And we can also have dogs that are completely not safe, but they feel fine. Like, you know, like happily fetching a ball across a busy road in traffic, like oblivious <laughs> to the fact that this car is going to ping it in the side of the head. Um, that's again, completely different scenario. So, and yeah. 
we don't want to compromise. We don't want to compromise either. But I think what gets taken yeah. for granted is when the dog doesn't feel safe, but we know it technically is. That's yeah. That's a big deal to that dog. Yeah, it's it's looking at things through their lens, not ours, or trying to, anyways. You know, to yeah. the best of our ability. It's we're only going to be further ahead when we do that, and that's the thing is that it, I think it's hard to convince people that slowing down and looking at things from this perspective will actually achieve the results that they do want. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just slowing down, but you'll be actually behind if you, if you, you know, gun it essentially and, and do things that are just going to compromise their safety or feeling of safety and security. That's yeah, exactly. Like, you know, it comes down to, yeah, we're kind of unpacking it, but like, the body language of the dog, we need to understand what they're saying. We, we're looking at their perception of safety. We're looking at like understanding if they are frustrated, understanding if they are feeling mm-hmm. anxious. What do they look like? Don't need to know it to the degree of you and me do. Like you and me. No, no. Dog owners only really need to understand yeah. um, the dog in front of them. Whereas, you know, yeah. ideally a dog trainer understands how to read more than one dog. Yeah, we don't need a dog owner to a dog guardian rather to um, understand all dogs' body language, but get to know yours and yours, what yeah. you're saying in that moment. And then when you're testing as well, one of the things to test is well, the main thing to test is well, we control what environment they're in. You know, we we decide where we take them, when, how long for, who's you know what what do we who and um, what are we likely to encounter when we go out. And when we put the dog into a situation, that's when our listening to the dog really kicks in because they're going to tell us how they feel about it. And it's our job to react appropriately to support the dog in that moment, not to correct the dog. The dog's just communicating how they feel in that moment. And they didn't really choose to be there and they didn't really, they didn't get to choose how they feel. And so it's not, I feel like it's pretty shit when people then hold the dog accountable. Oh, that. I don't like that word at all. You just hit a trigger point with me. <laughs> I thought I might. <laughs> I, I, I'm like, well, my body language. Um, yeah, accountability is not a it's not a thing for dogs. Like they're doing what's either safe for them or yeah. is uh, producing a result that is favorable. So. Yeah, it's it's unfair. It it really is unfair. But again, again, I think it's a bigger picture societal perception of what dogs are and what they should be, um, which I do think is changing. Um, and I do see a lot of guardians who are interested, and they yeah. do they're interested in in the things that we're talking about today because it brings them closer to their dogs, um, and that relationship can shift uh, considerably when when they start making even small changes. Yeah. Welcome. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I was listening to something earlier and it was such a really cool point and I'd never actually heard it explained this way. And yet as soon as I heard it, I'm like, ah, shit, that makes so much sense. Um, it was talking about, and it leads into it, it definitely falls into the same category of what we're talking about today in terms of like, you know, building those good behaviors. There's almost like two ways I see it get labeled, like one of them being, uh, well, it's got a high, high resilience and uh, can tolerate a lot of frustration. And so that can often, you know, and, and that lens of looking at it 
it's almost asking the dog to endure it and we expect it to comply and behave in that manner. But the lens that it was talking about in this way was really cool because essentially what what we're asking to do, the dog to do in those moments, you know, we identify the desirable behaviors, the good dog behaviors, and they might be sitting patiently. Um, you know, they might be just settling in public. They might be uh, playing healthily, whatever they, whatever we desire, des- uh, interpret to be desirable in those moments. But they're actually skills that the dog can practice. And in order to practice them, well, we can teach them, but in order to teach them, we have to set up an environment where they feel safe. And then we need to read their body language to know that they're actually there in the first place so that we've got an, a constructive learning environment, right? Yeah. Yeah. And if somebody out there is listening and is like, what the heck, how do I do that? It sounds very overwhelming and complicated. It's, it's not really. I mean, it, it is realizing, again, the body language when we are teaching our dogs new things, their responses, you get to know your dog very, very well. And once a couple of things are pointed out and you're like, oh, okay, now I can identify that. And that's a gauge as to whether they're comfortable or not. Yeah. Right. So it's, to me, all this stuff is fascinating. I think if, if you're out there and, and you're thinking, well, I, I just like my dog to, to be better, I will say this is that a lot of times they are being quote unquote good and they're not being reinforced for it. So we are not proactive as a species, are we? We're pretty sure. Right. We're not. We're reactive. We suck <laughs> at it. I suck at it in my own life. Am I proactive with my meal prep or nutrition or taking vitamins? No. So it does take a real effort to be proactive with your dog and reinforce the good behavior, which is just sitting there being calm or whatever calm is right <laughs> whatever person yeah. is calling calm um but if you're not if you're not acknowledging it with your dog you're not reinforcing it they have no idea that that's what we are striving for for you know good behavior yeah yeah like the amount of times where we we, we had somebody inquire about puppy school the other day and they their sole goal they, they said like, oh, we really want this dog to learn no. And I'm like, okay, um, anything else you might think of your, that your dog would be, uh, just, you know, what, would, what else would you like your dog to be doing? And they could, they, eventually we got it out, like they listed lots of behaviors. How oh, we'd love them to learn this and this and this. Cool. Because that's where we're going to focus our training on because no is not a behavior. Um, <laughs> but it, but it's, it's usually a loud, booming voice. <laughs> That's what no usually is, right? Yeah. Like, I'm not saying people can't like go like you know interrupt behavior and get them to do something more desirable, but yeah. like yeah, yeah. a training style. Um, that's what, unfortunately, like you said, like that's what we do. We notice it when it's all going well. You know, the dog can spend ages just laying there chilling out, and we won't say a word to him because. Don't disturb him. Um, and I definitely can relate to that. But, <laughs> but at the same time, like, yeah, like how does the dog understand? Like that's the one That's the one that we really like to see. Um, but especially if then we flip that and we put loads of attention on the behavior that we don't want, it's mm-hmm. much better. Get much more of a rise out of you for doing that's a really it. Really good point. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, 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 you know, nobody's perfect. Like do, before we started the podcast, one of my dogs, you know, I, he's sort of whining because he's on the other side of a baby gate and 
I might have yelled or hollered, you know, stop, stop it or no. Yeah, yeah. And, but then, but then if I go back, like, like we're wanting others to do, it's okay. Well, he doesn't like being separated there. So what yeah. do I need, need to do to make help him and make him feel better? Yeah. We're all going to screw up. Like that's the reality, but I think it is okay. Yeah. I've, I've screwed up or that hasn't worked. So let's dig deeper again. Let's see what's the reason. Cause there's always a reason there's always yeah something going on and we can help them. We're not pandering to them. Um, we're again, they didn't choose to live with us. So it's up to us, in my opinion, to find out what it is that they need and help them. Well, they, yeah, this uh, is it. Like I, you know, going back to that trigger word accountability, we're the ones we chose to bring the dog into our life. We chose to bring them out in that moment or invite guests in or have them have the dog in the situation that we designed. And we need to be accountable for our, our actions and, and our dogs because our actions are what essentially are the only thing that can influence the dog's behavior and the environment around us. And that's just part of being, I, I'd love your take on this, right? Mm. <laughs> this, this term leadership in the dog industry has been, in my opinion, has just been completely bastardized. Like, Dog trainers have managed to ruin the yeah. term leadership, but like, I don't want, like, yeah, I don't want to be a leader. I want to be a partner. Like, I, my, yeah, that's. There is a thing to be said about that. Their model of leadership isn't actually healthy leadership, right? Like, right, So we're talking about like subordinate type relationship. Is that well, that's, what we, that's what they seem to have painted it as. Whereas, you know, if. Right. If, if I've got a dog in my life, and, and I do, you know, one of my roles is to do my very best to guide him through this life in this, yes. hum, in this human world and yeah. make sure that the two of us live a happy and healthy life. Yeah. yeah. There's, an, there's an element of leadership in that. And but that yes. Is, yes. Do you, know what I'm, do you know what I'm getting at there? Like, I do. And I think that me saying partner is more of an emotional, uh, an emotional partnership, but you're right. Is that we do need for dogs to be safe in our society and, and to navigate the world effectively, they do need guidance and your term leadership. Right. Um, which isn't, that doesn't mean that it's just do as I say it is. Yeah. It, it's setting things up so that it works in both our favors, in my opinion. Yeah. There's like, right. there's some really healthy models of leadership out there that have nothing to do with the typical dog training leadership model, which is bullying, you know? Tell me, so share with me a couple of examples. So, all right. Of Brene, models. Brene Brown? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Brene, yeah. The, the author, Brene Brown, like she talks about leadership okay. in the workplace and, you know, daring to lead and essentially, right. You, you accept that your team, your, your work team are in your care. And if, if somebody is communicating something, you don't shut that communication down. You create an environment where they can communicate safely because there is a good chance that they're like, they're in the thick of it. Like in the, in the working environment, they are communicating, uh, how they feel about the environment they're in, which is the work environment, which is what we've created as, a, as their boss, potentially, per se. And we're actually responsible for their working environment. So we give them a safe space to be able to communicate so that then we can alter their environment 
and coach them through that so that they've got a better chance of success. It's exactly what yeah. we talk about, me and you talk about in terms Beautiful, of yeah. dog ownership and dog guardianship. Yeah. So where do you think the other model came from then? Is You know, I would... I would it's always militant. I was going to say, I, I, you know, dog training started initially, the, the beginnings are military, right? Yeah. yeah. So it started there and that model bled into pet dog training and has never left really in a lot of ways. No. And like going to war is one thing. Yeah. But these are pet dogs. (laughs) That's and, and right. And I, and I do think we, we need to keep reminding people too, is that obedience is a sport. Oh, um, you know, (laughs) and the military is very different. Our pet dogs, what was the purpose of, of, of bringing pets into our, our homes or is the purpose for most of us is companionship. Exactly. It's to yeah. make us and them happy. Right? <laughs> exactly. And one can't be without the other in terms of like happiness and, and emotional health and all those things. And it's, you're right. It's not a healthy relationship. If we have that kind of power dynamic or mindset, I, I think it's really all mindset. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. As soon as we shift, you've you've probably heard me correct myself. I am always trying to get this right in terms of, I say owner way too often and I hate the term, right? I'm working on it. (laughs) I'm a a work in progress. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not, I'm I'm just like you, you know, five minutes before this, I'm like, Otis, but we are always trying to work on everything we're doing, but the it is a mindset thing as soon as i move away from the mindset of the dog is my property and i it must comply with everything that i ask so that it respects me or for whatever motivation you've got behind that to we are actually a team here we're a family unit and my responsibility is actually your well-being it's a it's a that's a massive mindset shift which would, and I don't want to veer off too much, and maybe this is for another day, which I think ultimately comes back to the human's mental and emotional health, yeah. right? How can we have that insight with our dogs if we are in a bad place, we are, you know, have a lot of, of stuff that maybe we're, we're working through or haven't worked through. So I think it, it can be a big ask for some people, you know, depending on where they are in their life. Yeah, there's, um, yeah, absolutely. And something I will always coach my team on is, you know, look at the entire situation. We go into a client's life and they might think that, you know, they're communicating to us, well, I need the dog to do X, Y, Z. And we're looking at that and going, there's no way currently that this dog can perform that in this situation. And so, how we get so one of the main tasks in that initial part is to completely reframe expectations um but giving giving somebody the permission to themselves to go i didn't need to do that i actually didn't need to be in that position when my dog did the thing and even if that even if it's somebody like um that's going through a hard time right there and then saying to them like i've recently had a client where i'm like hey look when we get to dog training, we're going to work on X, Y, Z. But right now, I appreciate that uh, 
you know, right now the shit's hitting the fan and you've got work pressure, you've got, uh, you know, things going on in your life. Now for the next month, you're not going to do anything. I just need you to just play fetch in the garden with your dog because we need that pressure from your life to kind of not go away, but just die down a little bit. And that one to die down a little bit. And then you're going to have an extra 15 minutes in your day to be able to do the training and being able to just give somebody the permission to go. 100%. Yeah, that's the thing. We really have to get good at being compassionate and empathetic for the humans and what's going on in their life in a non-judgmental way. Because all the stuff that we're talking about today is in an ideal world, this is what we would like to see for dogs. I get that. The reality is, is that humans live with them and we are imperfect. We are impatient. We are not proactive, right? And we have all these things going on in, in our lives, likely, right? And so we can achieve great things for dogs and their people, but it's not, it's not just one or the other. They're, they're a package. And so it's, and that's what I love so much about this work too, is that even if we are planting seeds, even if we are making small changes or, or the guardians are making small changes that benefit both, we're, make, we're, we're, we're helping and we're elevating, um, improving their, their lives. Right. Yeah. That's the goal though, isn't it? So, yeah. Yeah. That's the goal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. I think that is a great point to sign off today. And yeah, we talked a lot today. I thought it, a great conversation. I hope that something that we said today maybe was helpful to someone out there. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Um, thanks for having me. Thanks so much for listening. That's it for this week, guys. If you ever want to ask questions, give feedback, or just provide some suggestions regarding the podcast, find me on Ian Shivers Dog Advocate on Instagram. I'll be happy to help. If you're feeling really generous, leave us a review on whatever platform it is that you're listening to this podcast on. And if you want to nerd out more with us, then find our sponsors because they're the ones that make all of this possible. See you next week. This episode is sponsored by Canine Caregivers. I've had so many people reach out to me over the years, not knowing where to turn to online for reliable and consistent advice on how to raise a healthy and happy dog. The information out there is hard to navigate. It's hard to know who to trust and who not to trust. And frankly, some of it is just downright dangerous. That's why we created Canine Caregivers, a place where you can come and get educational resources and access a supportive community founded on the care approach for people just like you, whether you've just brought a dog into your life or you've got a dog that is experiencing some unwanted behaviors. The content is updated regularly and we constantly keep in touch with our members to make sure that we are bringing relevant and up-to-date content that truly matters to you. There's different tiers of membership for different needs. So you can be sure that you don't have to break the bank to access the information that can literally make all the difference to the quality of life between you and your dog. Head to caninecaregivers.com.au to learn more.